This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. The title of my message tonight is, uh, Who Will Step Up? Who Will Step Up? And uh, I, I'd really appreciate it if you just open your Bible. I'm going to look at a few people tonight in the Bible. We're not going to be long, but uh, I do want to... Uh, exhort you a little bit tonight, and this is the establishing message of the conference. We're trying to establish ourselves in the direction we're going to be going, and uh, next steps require somebody to take a step, and I believe that we need to step up. And uh, in Joshua, the first chapter, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister. I love that, that Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them. Even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses... So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Here's my question tonight. And I say this out of a concern, but I also say it out of the reality of what's happening in our midst. This year's been a very, very hard year for me. Over 12 of my friends and family, good men, good women, my mother, have gone to be with the Lord. They aren't here anymore. Pastors, mentors, people that I looked up to, family members, And for me, the reality of death somehow struck my heart this year. I think it's important that sometimes we think of our own frailty, our own lives, and our own deaths. Here's a question I want to ask. Who will continue the work for your church? Pastors? You see, one by one, God is calling home his saints. They've had a place in the house of God. They've been faithful to what God has called them to do. They've been obedient to God. They've walked with him. They've been faithful to his church. 
and now they're gone to claim their reward. When I think of these things, I think of some of the heroes of the Bible. I think of Moses. Moses led the Israelites out of bondage. What an incredible story. But he was tested and tried by the people. And I think that's really putting it mildly. (laughs) Moses was an exemplary leader. He led, some say, as many as 4 million people. There were over 600,000 men that we know of. between him and Aaron, the high priest, they took them out of Egypt and led them on a short 11-day journey to the promised land that took 40 years. Moses is the guy who said this. He says, Lord, who am I that I should go into Egypt and lead your people out of bondage? I kind of think he might have been thinking like this. Hey, listen, I'm 80 years old. Are you sure you got the right guy? Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I'm a stutterer. I don't speak very well. Lord, I mean, he had a lot of excuses, like some of you. Just tap your neighbor. So I think he's talking about you tonight. And yet God chose this guy who he trained 40 years in Pharaoh's house And then 40 years on the backside of a wilderness to go and lead all these complaining, disrespectful, gossiping, know-it-all Israelites for 40 years. 40 years. Now, like I said, it was only an 11-day journey. But because they disobeyed God, it lasted for 40 years. And yet he was faithful to lead all those 40 years. Think about it. Don't you think he might have been a little disappointed? And at the end of it, we we were just in Israel. At the end of it, you can see from Israel Mount Nebo. So you know that from Mount Nebo they can see Israel. And that's where Moses got to go and look one last time at where he might have been able to go. Then the Bible says that he was no more. Satan contested his body, but Michael must have hidden it. We don't know what happened there. But we do know this, that Moses finally did get to Israel. He finally did get to the promised land. Because on Mount Transfiguration, he was there with Elijah and Jesus. Talking about Jesus' future. Pretty interesting, isn't it? But here, you have to understand, here this guy is. And he's now 120 years old. And the work that he did, bringing the children of Israel to the border of the promised land, was amazing. Even though he died and was buried. But here's the question. Who was going to take his place? Who was going to take his place? Well... There was a man. It turned out that he was a well-known military leader. He was someone that God had faith in and somebody who had become very humble. He was a very humble man, a man by the name of Joshua. 
Now, you know, when I grew up in the church, we had a message called, you know, it's time for the Joshua generation. We were all about 20 years old and that message started percolating in the church. You know, and we thought, well, all these old guys need to step aside for the Joshua generation. <laughs> you know, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, that was upon a closer reading of the Bible, we found out that Joshua uh, didn't step into his position until he was almost 80 years old. And until Moses at 120 had died. None of us wanted to wait that long. So there were a lot of us that jumped out ahead and probably hurt ourselves and hurt others because we weren't ready for leadership yet. But there was a man. And this man, Joshua, was ready to step up. He was ready to step into the ring of adversity, the arena of ministry. I think I could say a lot about Joshua, and I'm not going to spend my time today doing that. But probably being the greatest, greatest military leader that Israel ever had, he knew how to plan. He knew how to plan campaigns. He had discipline for his forces. He knew how to use spies. But above all, he knew how to pray and how to trust God. At the age of 110, his death was not taken lightly. In fact, his voice echoes throughout the ages. The Bible says it this way. In essence, the Bible says this. He is dead, yet he still speaks to us. And he does. He speaks every time that we speak of Israel. Every time we speak of the exploits that God did through Moses. Every time he speak, we speak about the exploits of conquering 31 kings and, and taking the promised land. And having just been in Israel, you know, it's amazing that they never did conquer the land that God promised from the Euphrates River all the way to the, all the, way to the Sinai, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the Red Sea. They never did get it all. So that shows me that there's still a day to come when more land will be conquered because Israel's never had that space yet. So... Keep your eyes out in Israel. Keep your eyes out in the Middle East. There's a lot of float there. Amen? So today I want to, not only for you to, cha to challenge you to think of uh, Joshua's life. Because I, I think that the discoveries there that you'll see uh, would help you in your own journey. There's lots of lessons to be learned of what kind of person you and I need to be in order to be placed in the service of God where he wants us. To be conquerors of the evils of Canaan land, our own Canaan lands. And I think the thing that struck me the most about Israel is that the whole world at the time of Abraham, the whole world, believed in pantheism. They believed in multiple gods. They believed in all forms of idolatry. And then God touches the life of one idolater and reveals himself to him. And this one man begins to declare that there's only one God, the true God. This is so fly in your face to what was the 
message of the day, the message of the hour. It was so contrary to everything that was being preached. You have Moses come along and guess what he does? He stands in front of Pharaoh who worships Ra and many other gods, the sun god. And he declares, there's only one God, the I am that I am. Now, the reason that's so powerful is because the name Pharaoh that they took on for themselves was that they were the great I am. But God says, no, 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 no. Or, or Moses says, no, but we're not talking about I am. We're talking about the I am that I am. The ultimate I am. The I am. The one true God. And you have to understand, monotheism, even today, looks funny in the eyes of most people. Even in this country, we do not practice monotheism, sometimes even in church. Because we worship our ancestors. We've given God-like status to an ancestor. They've taken the place of Almighty God. We call Mori God, but at the same time, we give a lot of credit to intermediary gods. Hmm? We need to lead our people out of that. We need to talk about the one true God. Joshua comes and God leads him into battle and he tells him to destroy every nation. Why would God do that? Some people say, oh, God is such a vicious, mean God. No, you have to understand something. There are things that people do that they cannot repent of. Today, we're talking about transhumanism. Transhumanism. People are doing things today to become non-human. When do you move from being human to being machine? When do you move from being human to having enough of the hormones, the genes of an animal in you that you become something besides human? Jesus didn't come to redeem anything but humans. He didn't come to redeem machines. He came to redeem humankind. Sometimes you and I think that, oh, you know, we're so modern. We're so advanced. Can I tell you something? Some of the stories that you read in the Bible about centaurs and all these different creatures and animals, we think, oh, that's just mythology. No. If the Bible says those things were real, they were real. We don't know what genetic practices they had, but God forbids the mixing of genes like that. God forbids it. And yet, we play God, possibly to our own destruction. I believe that we're coming to an age very, very quickly where darkness, multiple gods, multiple Christs, antichrists are rising, and we too as believers will have to take a stand for the one true God. His only son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to make, we're going to have to know what we believe. Because not all paths lead to heaven. And not all paths lead to life. Life comes through Jesus Christ and through his son. But is there a generation that will step up? Because in these days, it was not popular to have a monotheistic God. In fact, Moses left for 40 days, and by the time he got back, they'd built a god for themselves, a golden calf. 
It's in the nature of man to make your gods. Joshua was a great leader. He followed a great leader. I also think of another man. Look at 2 Kings with me. Chapter 2. I like this guy. The Bible says that it came to pass. 2 Kings 2 verses 9 through 14. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a very hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken up from you, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And then he took up also the mantle of Elisha that had fallen from him. And he went back and he stood by the Jordan River and he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. I love that, hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Here, here we have another man who wants to step up. He wants to enter the ring. Here, we, here again, I think we can say a lot about this man. I could spend all night just preaching about Elisha and Elijah. What a man of God this guy was. But as Elijah is being caught up by a tornado, who's going to take his place? You see, this miracle-performing prophet that God used so mightily to confront the prophets of Baal, the idolaters of his day, the oppressors of his day, this prophet had a man following him named Elisha. God had a man picked out already. Elijah says to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha doesn't even miss a beat. He says, give me a double portion. Give me the double portion. And many people think it's two times what he had. And although it's true he did double the miracles that Elijah did, the fact of the matter is you can't have two times of something if it, isn't, if it doesn't exist. I can't give you a double anointing. I only have an anointing. So I can't give what I don't have. So what is the double portion? The double portion is simply this. It is the recognition that you are the chief prophet. It's the recognition that you're the one to whom the anointing falls. You're the one to whom we're laying the blessing. In a family, if you have a double portion, the Bible speaks of it, it would simply mean this. If you had five children in your family, you would take six portions of your inheritance. One portion to each person and a double portion to the eldest son or a double portion to the one that God indicates because often it wasn't the eldest son. 
The double portion means you have double. It means that you get the inheritance. It means you get the farm. You manage the farm. The rest of the kids get a portion of their inheritance. Do you remember the young man who got his inheritance and squandered it? And the elder son is all upset. He says, but you, he, I have you with me always. You have the double portion. The farm is yours, son. What, what are you upset about? But the son didn't get it. There were 50 other prophets standing on a hill watching Elisha. They wouldn't serve Elisha, but they were also prophesying or watching Elijah. Elisha says, listen, I just want them to know. I want everybody to know where your mantle falls. I want the double portion. That's pretty neat. And uh, Elisha didn't say, I don't know if I can do that. Elijah, or Elisha didn't say, hey, I, I, I don't know what I want. He knew exactly what he wanted. And uh, Elijah says, well, you've asked for a really difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, the anointing will be yours. Otherwise, it won't. Now, I think that was difficult for Elisha, but I think it was equally difficult for Elijah. Because Elijah didn't know the time, the hour, or when this was going to happen. It was out of control. There was no control he had no control over it. So we see what happens is Elisha is separated from Elijah and then uh, by, the, by the tornado. And then Elisha sees Elijah take it up into the clouds. And listen to what he cries out. He says, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Now I want you to know something that God often prepares the next leader through a spiritual father. He fathers you. He mentors you. And there are so many young people today that desire ministry. There's so many people today that desire to be ministers, but they've never been mentored. And so what we see today is we see the mess that we're in in the church all over the world where young people go out with anointing, but no accountability. With signs and wonders, but no one to say, hey, let's rein that in a little bit. That, that, that's error. Because they have no fathers. A fatherless generation is a nuisance to the body of Christ. It's a nuisance to the nation. We have government ministers that have never been fathered. And they go out and look what they do. So God, in his great wisdom, is raising up another generation. Another group of people. People that are being not only counseled, not only mentored, but coached, fathered into their next positions. And in this church, that's our desire. We've been talking about community. We've been talking about passing on the mantle. And I see the day fast approaching where we must see this next generation. But my question is, who will step up? Who will step up? Elisha like Moses, lost someone that he called father. Elisha had already given up his oxen, his plow, his work, his family, his living. He left all of those things behind. He burned his oxen on his plow as a sacrifice to God, never to go back to his farming. In fact, he burned 12 oxen. 
follow Elijah. When he sees this man lifted up, he says he tears his clothes. That was a sign of grieving. That was a sign of angst, anguish, pain, sorrow. But again, Elisha doesn't miss the beat. He doesn't grieve too long. In fact, he walks over and he picks up the mantle. He picks up the, clo- the, the cloak, the, 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 the cape, if, if you will, that indicated who Elijah was. And he doesn't just take it and put it on. He takes it and he walks over to the Jordan River and he strikes the waters of the Jordan. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And guess what? The God of Elijah shows up. But this young man, Elisha, well, he wasn't young by the time Elijah died because he'd served him for quite a few years. But he was willing to step up and the same anointing came upon him. The same anointing began to work in him. And he served Israel and he served God for another generation. I know you can probably make a lot more observations about this and about God's response. I just know that he didn't waste a lot of time mourning. But he was ready for the difficult task that God had given him that was ahead of him. He didn't put it off. He didn't wait a day. He didn't wait a week. He didn't wait a year. He got up and served God. He was ready to serve God. Elisha doesn't lack confidence. He didn't hesitate. There's no uncertainty. I love Elisha. He carries on the work of God. My question tonight is, who will step up and carry on the work of God? Let me just close with one more thought. In the book of Acts, the seventh chapter, the Bible says when, we, when they heard these things, these are the Sanhedrin, these are the religious leaders of the day, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. And Stephen also calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Verse eight, chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. i tell you what, the diaspora began to take place then because of persecution. Persecution of being a Christian. I want to say this, I believe days are coming and they're not too far 
ahead of us that you will be persecuted if you're a Christian. You'll be persecuted for holding beliefs, beliefs like God can heal, beliefs that you have a right to gather, to worship, beliefs that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because there's going to come a time that people are going to have all kinds of weird doctrine. They're going to say, hey, any way to heaven. All religions are the same. You must accept every religion. And we do. We accept every religion, but not every religion is true. And not every religion will get you to heaven. Only Jesus is the Son of God. Only Jesus died on the cross. 20 years ago, if I would have said this, you would have laughed me out of the pulpit. You would have said, well, you know, he's kind of extreme, don't you think? Today, this is mild because we're seeing it. We're seeing legislation that says if you preach Jesus and him crucified and he's the way and the truth and life, it's hate speech for somebody who believes that all roads lead to heaven, to nirvana, to wherever they want to go. Can, I understand, can you understand something? We have a gospel to preach. It's going to take strong men and women. And there'll be people like Saul. Saul was thinking he was doing the will of God and consenting to the death of Stephen. Those religious leaders thought they were doing the will of God in stoning this heretic. comes a time when you must draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to be a person who stands on the word of God. And shame on us if we sugarcoat the word of God so that we keep from offending someone. Woe to to us if we preach an all-inclusive gospel. I'm telling you, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. He says, I came to bring the sword. Our gospel is not all-inclusive. Our gospel makes a dividing line between Saved and unsaved. God will judge between sheep and goats. Now shame on us if we use the gospel to try to justify our wrongdoings. Even as pastors and leaders, we must own up. We must take responsibility. Shame on us if we're afraid to speak to these so-called atheists. And let me tell you something, many of our humanitarian aid organizations and special interest groups and NGOs have been infiltrated and have taken up anti-Christ positions. They have been infiltrated by Satan's agendas. And some of you work in some of these NGOs. And I do not believe it's time to turn a blind eye to anti-Christ, anti-life Doctrines that are being infiltrated into the nation of Zimbabwe. Who will stand up? Who will stand up and take their place in the face of politicians that are godless and proud of it? Our nation cannot be saved by these politicians, I can tell you. Only by Jesus. Amen? As they stoned Brother Stephen, he lay there dying. Who was going to take his place? 
Who's going to speak plainly? The holy word of God, regardless of who it offended. Well, God had already put somebody in the wings waiting. Somebody you'd least expect. The very man standing and condoning the death of Stephen. A man who did everything that he could to be contrary to this word of God. There stood Saul, cheering on the stoning of Stephen. But this Saul later becomes Paul, the great apostle. Probably the greatest, probably the greatest missionary known to all mankind. What a soul winner Paul was. Today I am deeply grateful, even in this church, for all of our pastors, for those of you that are leaders, those men and women who are men and women of God who still preach the gospel, God's holy word, whether it's in a Sunday school, whether it's in one of our classes that we teach, walking free, entering the kingdom. Be that man, majoring in men, salt and light, the equipping track, our Bible schools. I commend you. I commend you. I commend you, pastors, for preaching from your pulpits the unadulterated word of truth. I thank you for all of our teachers raising up Christian schools with godly values and a biblical worldview. All of you at Celebration Health for taking not just healing, but the gospel into the prisons with compassion ministry to our orphans, to our widows. That's this gospel that we preach. But when you or I leave the scene, the place of action, to go be with our Lord, who will take our place? Who will take your place? There are men and women of God who might not do as much as others. There's others who do so much in the church and there's others who seem, you know, they, they, they don't do as much in church. But they're faithful. They're faithful to the church. Never despise those that are faithful. People are growing as you preach the word of God and they'll grow into what God wants them to be and do. And we miss people when they're not in church. I want you to know I miss everybody that's not in church. Even tonight, I'd love to have a full house. I realize there's work, there's all kinds of things that keep us. But we miss people when they go to be with the Lord. I can tell you right now, I'm missing Dina and I'm missing Chesina. I'm missing my friend Gordon, Don. I'm missing my mother. I'm missing my wife's mother. 
These are saints. They're dearly missed. But tonight I want to say this. Let it be said of a person who calls himself or herself born again. Somebody who says, I am a Christian. I'm a believer. Let it be said of them that they say, we make a commitment to stand on God's word and his word alone. We oppose the things that are sinful and we stand for what is righteous, what is right. I believe that some of your voices will be heard by someone or a group of people, whether it be a school classroom, a board meeting, a political rally. Whether it be in the medical fraternity, the academic fraternity, I don't know where God has placed you, but my, I believe that your voice will be heard. And heard in places where it's not popular and sometimes not even permitted to mention the name of our God and His Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time we have an opportunity, we must use it for righteousness. It's time to step up. It's time to step up. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Apostle Paul said that. Child of God, brother, sister, if we don't stand now, what will become of our nation? This nation that God has continued to bless in spite of everything that's gone wrong. You know how blessed we are. Even with all the mess, we're still blessed. Tonight, I couldn't help but reflect as I was watching you worship and as I was worshiping with you, what richness we have in the spirit. You know, the Bible often talks about those who have everything in the natural become lean in spirit. There's times I, although I want the pressure to alleviate, there's times I'm saying, I wonder if that would destroy us. If we became rich financially, we wouldn't show up to church anymore. We wouldn't be a strong witness anymore. We wouldn't have this life that we now live by the Spirit. So my hope for us is that we really weigh this week in the balance and find out what God has for us. That we understand that even if we have more blessing, we still need to step up for the kingdom. I want to be able to hear one day Jesus as he looks at me and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Thou will make you rule over many things. Enter thou now into the joy of your Lord. Pastors come and go. God called pastors and anybody who's called of God has a burden, a burden for people. I can't shake my burden for people. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. I love people. I want those that are unsaved to go to heaven. I want them to hear the good news. I want those of you that are saved to grow up. And tonight I want you to step up. What we're trying to do here is 
as leaders, we're gathering together to work to build the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but he uses people. And we do that through community. We do that through family. I love the terminology family. We're becoming a big family. We do that through our relationships. And we do that through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting each other. And much more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we need to exhort each other. We need to exhort people that, hey, stay together. Build family. Do you know why that's so important? Because the Bible says that the spirit of this age is the spirit of lawlessness. And it says that the very elect of God can be deceived. And a spirit of lawlessness simply means this, that we become uncohesive. Every man sees the law through his own vantage point, to his own advantage, through his own eyes. Nobody can stay together. The great vision that Daniel had, or Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel interpreted, showed the statue of head of gold and arms of silver and torso of bronze and legs of iron and then moving down iron mixed with clay until it became so brittle that it says a stone not carved with human hands Jesus hit the toes of that idol and all the nations came crumbling down the warning was that the ethnos could not stay together the people could not stay together the only thing that can keep us together, the only thing that can keep us unified is the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what, we, that's, that's what makes the church outstanding. This mountain, the kingdom mountain, becomes a great mountain, not made with human hands, but God. And that's my hope, is that even this week, as we as leaders gather together, we're prepared to step up and to make sure that there's somebody behind us that can step into our place. Find that person. And this gathering together is more than just a church service on a Sunday. We can't keep our churches alive on church, church services on Sunday. Three services a week, two on Sunday and one on Wednesday. If everybody attended, that's only 280 hours a year. Today, we can hardly get people to go to one service. And they want it down to 30 minutes now. Make it convenient. Less than 52 hours a year to worship God. God help us. You see, the men of God we see that led in the Bible, along with those I've just spoken about, they had certain qualities in them as leaders. And those qualities cause God to bless them. And I see these traits in successful men and women of God all over the world today. Followers of Christ. And everybody who does well, it seems that they have certain traits. First of all, I see that those who do well somehow were discipled, mentored, and coached by someone other than themselves. You know, I'm probably the 
I'm probably the, the, the most fortunate of all people I know through no fault of my own. But I had a number of older men that gave me a chance when I was young. Before I was a year old in the Lord, I was teaching my first, my, my first Bible study. It was to adults. I studied a book by Derek Prince. I, I memorized it. I, I sweated bullets. And I, I basically read everything he said in my first Bible study. And I'm sure it was terrible. But everybody afterwards came and said, oh, you're an exhorter. You're wonderful. They built me up. Gave me courage. Later on, I'm leading 250 young people in a Bible study. Then I go to university and then I come to Bible school and I get a call from God to come to a nation I didn't even know about. It's nearly 40 years ago. I feel like Moses now. <laughs> 40 years. Next, next February. 40 years. <laughs> When I was in my 30s and 40s, God gave me some of the greatest leaders in the world today to coach me, to teach me, to encourage me. I, I don't even know how I got to know these men, but they took an interest in me. They fathered me. But I had to work hard to be in their presence. I flew to where they were. I offered my services for no pay. I ran their organizations in Africa. But I had the privilege of sitting at their feet. I washed their hands. They're all dead now. Somebody asked me the other day, do you have a spiritual father? Well, I've had many. They're all dead. My fathers are all dead. Well, who's your father now? I don't know. But if there was one, I would surely submit to him. Now I'm a father. Are you following what I'm saying? I know this, that those men helped me step up. Probably before my time. I was 27 when I started this church. Now I'm... <clears throat> Do you understand what I'm saying? But see, I tell you what, some of you that are 24, 21. It's time to step up. Here's the second thing I know. And by the way, that's the reason I have Mike and Karen here. I want them to help us coach better. I think we've done good at mentoring. I think I can tell you what to do. You're all good at doing what you're told to do. But you know what? There's something else when you're no longer being told what to do, but you're becoming Ronaldo in your sphere, in your area when you're becoming the very best you can be. And I don't have to be Ronaldo to teach you how to be Ronaldo. I just have to be a good coach to see in you that, hey, you know what? If you just did this a little differently, maybe you could be something better. Amen? So we're going to help you become better coaches. Hallelujah. We're going to give you some skills this week. We have Pastor Paul here. and He's going to help us help people. We have a lot of mental illness in our world today. We just are ignorant. We can't remain ignorant. We have to be able to help people, okay? Here's what I also saw about people that became successful for God. They had a hunger, 
on their own for God. They, they were hungry for God. I think of Joshua. Moses would go in and he'd do things in the tent, have face-to-face meetings with God. Joshua never saw God, but you know what? Joshua loved the presence of God. It said he would stay in the tent. He would lay in that tent. While everybody else was doing stuff, he just, when Moses went up on the mountain, Joshua got as close as he could and he stayed on the mountain. He wanted to get close to God. He had a hunger like nobody else. In fact, when the 12 spies came back, there were only two that had a hunger for God that said, we can do this. It was Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says they served God wholeheartedly with all their heart. Can I tell you something? God's looking for people that are wholehearted for him. He'll step over a thousand people to find one wholehearted one. I want some of you to step up into the presence of God. Elisha, he forsook his farming career, his inheritance. It cost him to follow the prophet Elijah. Saul, he was ambitious for God. He's zealous for God, even though it was totally misdirected. But God saw something in Paul's heart that he was able to turn into pure gold. I see some of you, you're zealous for business. You're zealous for all kinds of things. God's going to turn that zeal for him this week. Some of you are going to be radically shifted as you say, no, 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 no. Some of you have made fortunes, lost fortunes, made fortunes, lost fortunes, and you say, you know what? I can see that that's not where my happiness is. I just came back from the USA. There, everybody has everything, everything works, and they're more miserable than anybody I've ever seen. I come back here, there's a quality of life. There's a, yeah, we struggle. We don't have anything. But we have each other. We have God. Give me this any day of the week. Amen. Here's another thing about these future leaders. All these future leaders were not seeking the job. They didn't want the job. They were pursuing God. Even in some cases, they pursued him reluctantly. They're all very humble men. And eventually they did serve. Moses argued with God about his weaknesses, his inabilities. And throughout his ministry, he never seemed to think he's the one that should be leading. In fact, he argued with God. He'd say, God, these are your people. And God said, no, they're your people. No, no, God, they're your people. Joshua, likewise, was humbled by the opportunity. Joshua didn't really want to be the next leader. But God called him. But you can see Joshua relied heavily upon God. In fact, God had to encourage him three times. Be strong. Be of good courage. Be strong. Be of good courage. Meditate in my law both day and night. And be strong and be of good courage. Can I tell you something? To lead, to step up, we're going to need to be strong and courageous. I think Joshua's own response is, you study him, show how he relied on the Lord. The Bible says he meditated in the word day and night. Last part of his life, just before he died, he gathered the children of Israel together. They had to make a decision about who they were going to covenant with. And he gave a beautiful sermon. At the end of it, he says, but it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And that was really a challenge for the rest of Israel to step up 
to step up and serve God. Stephen, he was a deacon in the church. He waited on tables. He did, the Bible, Paul told Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. That's all Stephen was doing. He was serving, taking care of widows and taking care of the, 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 the details of the church as a deacon. And then he was doing the work of an evangelist. But he died for his beliefs. And those who stoned him began to lay their feet, their, their, their jackets at the feet of a zealot, Saul, who later became Paul. There was nobody in the New Testament besides Jesus himself that suffered as much as Paul to bring the good news of the gospel to the Gentile world. And yet, here's what Paul said. Listen to the humility. He said, he said, my greatest fear is that after I have preached to others, that I myself should be a castaway. Man, what a man. Never took the ministry to be grasped. A humble, humble of heart. Tonight, I believe that God is looking for another wave of leadership. And I mean a wave. God breathed in my generation on a group of people in the late 60s and early 70s. We had what was called the Jesus Movement. It hit Time Magazine, it hit everything. And you're a byproduct of that today. But we need a fresh wave another group of people that'll allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on them and to step up. There's many excuses in this room tonight. Some of you are saying, hey, I'm too old. Moses was 80. That disqualifies you right there. He was 80 when he started doing what God called him to do. All of my mentors started their ministries after the age of 60. I can honestly tell you, I believe that everything I've done till now was to prepare me for my next phase of ministry. I want to step up. I want to step up. You're never too old. Joshua, he was happy being a number two. But with the death of the leader, God was able to call upon him and he led. Elisha was willingly serving the former generation. Oh, what he learned being close to a man of God, day after day, making his bed, washing his clothes, serving him, washing his hands, cooking his meals, packing his tent up, packing his stuff up, setting it up. That's all he did. Oh, but he watched Elijah confront the prophets of Baal. He watched, Eli he watched Elijah do all those miracles. It wasn't easy. But what preparation? What mentorship? Some of you can't see yourself in those people. But what about Esther? She was only a teenage girl she stepped up. Deborah, she was just a judge. 
then she became anointed of God. God called a man, but the man said, hey, you, 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 if you go, I'll go. God will use a woman if she'll step up. How about Levi and Zacchaeus? Tax collectors. God could even use you, a tax collector. God's not limited if you'll step up. Abraham, 75 years old, an idolater. Never had an encounter with the real God until he was 75. God called him to leave his home and family. 75 years old. Who, who's willing to make a life change at 75? I am. Well, 65. But I'll follow God. Every one of the disciples were in their teens and their 20s when they followed Jesus. They, they weren't old men, they were youngsters. God is calling you and I tonight. And God's calling us over this conference to be influential for him, in ministry for him, wherever we're located. Joseph was a slave. Daniel was a eunuch, impressed into service. Are you willing to step up? That's my question tonight. Are you willing to die to yourself and to serve God in your generation? In your sphere of influence? We're all called to be discipled. We're all called to grow in faith. But we're also called to disciple others. We can all begin tonight to be light in a dark place, salt in a putrefied world, witnesses in a world that is far from God. Who will step up? Who will step up tonight? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.